Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. Well, today, the word of the Lord is living in light of eternity. Living in the light of eternity. How many of y'all know eternity is forever? Eternity is a long time. There's no end to it. That's why it's called eternity. It just lasts and never ends. And, uh, you know, as, as humans, as people, we have a hard time comprehending things that don't end because everything that we experience ends. Everything that we know on this earth has an end, but eternity has no end. Eternity is forever and eternity is for everyone. Every single person will spend eternity in one of two places, either in heaven with God for eternity or separated from God for eternity in hell. And it's based upon one simple thing. It's based upon each person's individual decision on this earth to receive Jesus as their Savior or to reject Him. It's not based on if we did enough good things. It's not based on if, God, if we think God is mad at us or disappointed in us. No, we each have the decision to make to receive or reject Jesus while we're on this earth, right? So we have to realize, like, in order for us to live in light of eternity, that this life is just short. This life is so small, and eternity is actually big. Eternity is so much longer than this life. I, I mean, we think that 80, 90, 100 years is a really long time, but it's so short. The Bible says that your life, our life is, such, is a vapor. It's here one moment and gone the next. You know, like, like I, I'm 44, but I feel like I'm 24. You know, I'm like, where did 20 years go? You know, and then I look at my daughter who's 16. I, I'm not old enough to have a 16-year-old, but I am because I do. And, you know, anybody else feel that way? Like, where did the time go? And, and all of the young people are like, what are you talking about? You're just old, double old or whatever, you know. Funny story. I was in a rock and roll band one time, and I had this girl who was a drummer. I was like mid-20s, late-20s maybe, and she was uh, 18, and one of the guys in the band was, had just turned 30, and on his birthday, she's like, you're double old. <laughs> it's funny how we perceive time, isn't it? But eternity lasts forever. It's just that everything we experience has an end. I don't know, all my students, when you're in class, and that one teacher is just lecturing, and he's like, well, you're like, when was this end? Oh, and then he's still lecturing, you know, nobody else slept in class. Okay, praise the Lord. Come on. There's that one, you know, or maybe it's that long meeting at work that never seems to end, or the Monday, and you look at your watch, and you're like, it must be 5.30, and it's actually only 10.30, and you're like, this day will never end, you know, or, you know, maybe you're, you're like me, and you're stuck in traffic at that one stoplight, and there's no other cars coming, and your light is red. Anybody experience that? I'm like... That's where I had to pray for patience. And Lord, I'm working out my salvation right now. You know, and no other car is coming. And those lights are green and mine is red. And then I'm telling Heather about it. I was at that light for 35 minutes and it lasted for a time is a funny thing, you know. Everything we experience comes to an end. But I believe that we are actually hardwired for eternity. 
God created us with this need to know Him. Every single person on this earth has this, has this thing inside of them that longs to know God and longs to be with God in eternity. We're hardwired this way. Let me show you in Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there or the version Bible. Who brought your Bibles with you to church? Come on. There's no shame in the game, but let's bring our Bibles with us to the house. Come on. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. It talks about this longing to be with God The Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church, to believers in Jesus, and he says this. He says, For we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed. Now, he's not talking about running down to academy and buying a tent after this and selling your house and living in the tent. Okay? Live in your house, whatever, you know, if you want to live in a tent, that's fine too. But he's talking about this body, this earthly tent, this body. He's saying, one day this body will die. Here's the good news. Your body is not the real you. You are a three-part being. You are a spirit. That is the real you. That's the part of you that is born again when you receive Jesus or is dead in sin without Jesus. That is the real you. You have a soul. That is your mind, your emotions, your feelings, and you live in this physical body. You are a three-part being, right? And there will come the day for all of us. Scripture says it's appointed unto mankind once to die, right? There will come the day when this body ceases to exist, but your spirit continues on forever. And what people don't understand sometimes is that we think that life on this earth is one thing and life in eternity is something different, that they're disconnected somehow, but they're not. It's a continuation. There's not a disconnect between when we are on this earth and when we are in eternity. It's because your spirit, when your body dies, your spirit continues on in eternity. You just leave this earth and now you're in eternity. But it's a continuation of who you are because your spirit is who you are. So when this body is destroyed, Paul is saying, he's saying, we have a building from God, a place to be with God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So when your body dies, you're not just going to be a spirit floating around somewhere. You're not going to be reincarnated as a plant or a dog or something else. You're not going to be a fat, naked angel baby playing the harp in the clouds. It's just not, that's not what's going to happen. When you leave this earth, your spirit goes to a place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in heaven. Come on. We're going to have a place that is prepared for us that's not built by human hands. We will, uh, Revelations talks about we, will have, uh, we have earthly bodies, but we will have heavenly bodies. Come on. He says, meanwhile, while we're here on this earth, We groan. We're longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Anybody experienced any struggles, any pains in this life? You know, I I experienced some pains in my knees when I got out of bed this morning. Like, oh, don't tell me you don't groan in the morning. Come on, somebody. We're going to be truthful in the house. Like, he's describing this tension that we go through life experiencing all kinds of stuff. Some good, some bad, some joyful, some painful. Like, and there's this tension when we know the Lord, like, I'm here on this earth, but I want to be in heaven, want to be with my family. There's this tension between the two that Paul's describing. Like, I've got this earthly body, but I want to be with Jesus. I want to be in heaven. And so he says there's this, there's this tension right there. There's this waiting until we get there. And, and, and since this is true that we will be in eternity somewhere, then it's also true that how we live now affects eternity. How we live affects eternity. Let me say it this way. God wants us to look at the life to come, which is eternity, and let eternity define how we live now. Eternity should drive 
my choices, my friendships, my thoughts, the things I say, because I'm living in light of eternity. It's just that so many other people, it's so easy to get it the other way around, thinking that the more that I do here is better. If I could be a better person, accomplish this and all this kind of stuff, that somehow that really matters when in light of eternity, this life, that doesn't matter. If I would live for what's going to take place there, then my life would be different here. So whatever your expectations are of heaven are going to determine your life here. Uh, The greater my expectations are of heaven and being in God's presence, then the better my life will be here because I will be living in such a way of being in heaven. One day I'm going to be there and it's going to be amazing and all this. So I'm going to live better than I would if my expectations of heaven are lower in the afterlife or I guess eternity or maybe one day or whatever. And it's just really far off. If my expectations of heaven and eternity are lower, then it kind of just frees me up to do whatever I want and live my way. Right, because I've distanced myself from the reality of what heaven is. So my prayer for us is that, uh, for my family and for each one of us, is that when you leave this earth and you step into eternity, that you would hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That we would have a place of celebrating, not entering into eternity with regrets. There's a story um, uh, Jesus told of a rich man and a, a man named Lazarus. And the rich man died, and he went to hell. And Lazarus died and, and, and went to heaven. And there's the struggle between the rich man who had regrets. Please go back and tell my family to, to, to not live like I did, but to live for eternity. And, and send Lazarus back, because if there's a miracle and they come, he comes back from the dead, they'll listen to him. And Jesus is saying, no, like you've got to live on this life, in this life now, like you want to live for eternity. It matters how we live. It affects eternity. The reality is, is that this life is a dress rehearsal for eternity. It's a dress rehearsal. My daughter was recently in a play at her school, and leading up to it, they had, you know, uh, four or five performances, but multiple more rehearsals and dress rehearsals and working out all the things so that when they finally got to the destination, which was the performance, that things would go good. Imagine going to a Broadway show and they didn't do any rehearsals. It would be chaos. No, they rehearse, they practice, they memorize their lines, they try on their costumes and work all the bugs out like you were sitting in the show and paid to be there. Like, we have to live in light of eternity. Eternity is bigger. Life on this earth is smaller. I believe that's why our spiritual enemy, the devil, works overtime to get people enamored with the trappings of this life, with the opinions of this world, and all the things going on so that we start distancing ourselves from living in light of eternity and start living for the promotion. So we start living so that everyone knows our opinions. So we start living for whatever it is on this earth that really doesn't matter in light of eternity. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn over a few more pages with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 3. I believe God wants to help us today to just kind of shift our focus a little bit, bring things back into focus in our lives and live on purpose so we can learn to maximize life in the eyes of God. Some of us have learned to maximize life in the eyes of the boss But I believe we're meant to live to maximize life in the eyes of God, right? 2 Peter chapter 3, this is Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, right? He's writing to the church, followers of Jesus, so he's writing to you and me, right? That's who we are. He says this, he says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers, some translations say mockers, will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, right? In other words, Peter's saying, guys, you're going to live in a time where people make fun of the church, 
where people disregard Jesus, where people say, you're one of those people who believe the Bible. Yep. People are mockers, scoffers. Anybody been on Facebook? Come on, anybody listen to the news? We're living in the last days, y'all. Peter's talking to us about the days that we're living in. He's people making light of and disregarding the things of God. He says people are scoffing and mocking. And the motivation, he tells us, behind the person who does that, who, who mocks the things of God, who lives in light of it, like, okay, yeah, Bible thumper people, crazy, Jesus freaks, yep. That, like, if, 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 if by Bible thumper you mean I believe God's word is true, then yes. You know, if, it's, if his word is his, the authority in my life over my feelings, then yes. Come on. Like he says the motivation for people who are going to be mocking and scoffing, he says, is their own evil desires. Some translations say lust, the things that they want, the things that feel good in the moment, the things that, that they think they can understand. He says that's the motivation because the further I get away from eternity and the reality of that, the more free I am to do what feels good to me and what seems right. But he says, he says, they're following their own desires. He says, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Now, when I read that this week, uh, the Holy Spirit stopped me. And he was like, who is he talking about? Who are these mockers and the scoffers who are saying, Jesus, he's coming again? Pfft. It's interesting. People that don't know Jesus don't know that he's coming again. Right. So could it be the mockers and scoffers he's talking about are followers of Christ, are people in the church? And they're saying, Jesus is coming. The Bible, please. Don't, I'll, I'll, I'll come to church. I'll, I'll do whatever God make you try to, try to make you happy with me. But I still want to do my thing. I still want to live that I want. What the way, he's saying, he's saying when is Jesus coming? Since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and bywater. So in the last days, there will be a deliberate cancellation of our connection to God, His Word, and eternity. He's saying people will deliberately move away from the truth of God for what they want, for their own desires. Come on. And we see this playing out in our world, don't we? Come on, all the debates in the church. And he says, if a person can dismiss the eternal, they will be more free to do what they want. That's why it's so important for us to live in light of eternity. Because this life is not about what we want. This life as a follower of Jesus, is we're called to bring glory to Him. Right? right? right. It's, it's that place where we move away from eternity, where we start living for self, where deception takes root, and we don't have to be concerned with how we live because this is this life, eternity, afterlife, whatever, one day I'll deal with that when it gets there. No, the two are connected, right? The two are connected, right? Because it's like we said, the expectation of heaven determines how I live because expectations drive, right, my experience. Expectation directs behavior. Um. When I go to a farmer's market, you know, you're not going to order a perfect filet mignon that's perfectly cooked. No, if you want a perfectly cooked filet mignon, you go to Ruth's Chris or somewhere like that. When you go there, you expect the steak to be perfect. I mean, when I, I, I've been there, you know, one or two times, and, like, my expectations of the environment are different because of what's there. So I dress a little bit nicer. Anybody with me? Come on. Hey, make sure I, I smell nice. I'm not going to walk in there just, just off of, you know, whatever. No, I go in there looking a little nicer. I put the little napkin on my seat, you know. Like, I expect to pay more. You know, my expectations are driving my behavior versus when I go to McDonald's. 
You get a 59 cents cheeseburger, baby. <laughs> my expectations are driving my behavior in that moment. And it's the same thing in light of eternity. My expectations, if heaven is great, if God is great and he is Lord of my life, then the expectation of what he has for me in eternity drives my behavior now. But if, if heaven is just this, this thing where naked baby angels are and baby Jesus and whatever else, and one day it'll happen and maybe I'll slip in the pearly gates, then right now it drives my behavior. I can do whatever I want and just say a nice little prayer at the end and hope I get by. It, expectation drives my behavior, right? That's, that's why the devil wants to get our expectations on the things of this earth. And if I didn't get it exactly when I prayed for it and wanted it, then God, didn't, God doesn't work for me. God doesn't love me. No, he's trying to change our expectation of God. He says, Peter says, by these waters, the world at that time was also deluged or flooded and destroyed. So he's talking about, he talks about creation, how God created everything. Then he talks about the flood, the great flood, Genesis 5 and 6, Noah and the ark, right? We all know the Sunday school story. And then he says, verse 7, by the same word that God spoke, the present heavens and earth, so where we live on this earth, this earth is reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, my friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Here's what that means. Don't judge God's timetable based on what your Apple Watch says. Or if you don't have an Apple Watch, whatever. God's timing is not our timing. But we want Him to fit into our linear, finite time frame. We go through life progressionally in a straight line. I'm 44, next year I'll be 45, and so on and so on. Hopefully 50 doesn't get here too fast. You know what I'm saying? We experience life in a progression, but God does not. God is not restricted to time. God transcends time. Let me, let me, God does not exist in the past and the future. God is always present. He's always in the present. He's always now. Think about the very first time God introduces himself to humanity in the Bible when Moses was before the burning bush. And Moses says, God, who should I tell people that you are? And he says, I am that I am. I am now. I am with you. I am present. He is, he is now. And so Peter is saying a, a, a day for us is like a thousand years to the door. He's not saying it is. He's saying it's like. Saying God's timing is totally different than your timing. It's just different. So we can't understand. You, let me say it this way. There's, there's just some things you're just going to have to come to the realization that there will be things you won't understand. There will be things you'll never have the understanding of, and that's okay. The Bible says that secret things belong to the Lord, but the things he reveals to us are ours, meaning God's not going to reveal everything to us. We are a limited, finite being. He is eternal. He is a God, and so we will not know or understand everything. Isaiah 55, uh, verse 8, he's, God is speaking, and he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He is the eternal God. He, uh, he is everything. We are finite. He is God. We are not. So here, here, Peter's trying to help us understand this idea. Verse 9, he says, so the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some, meaning us, understand slowness. God, I prayed for this for two weeks and you didn't do it. <laughs> God is not slow like we think he is. Instead, he's patient with you. Isn't that good to know? Like, I'm thankful because I need a lot of patience. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. 
He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. So don't ever come and tell me that God sends people to hell or God is angry at people. No, God's will is right there. He's patient. He doesn't want anyone to end up there. That's God's will. He wants everyone to experience repentance through Jesus. Come on. He's not slow. Like we can't stop what God is ultimately going to do, but we can get in his way and slow him down. God is going to do what he is going to do, but we can affect the timing. Let me show you in the Bible. Um, the children of Israel, when God delivered them out of Egypt, the 10 plagues of Egypt, they walked across the Red Sea. Um, people have proven that you can walk from where the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea to where they entered the promised land. You can make that walk across the desert in 35 days. It took them 40 years. It didn't ultimately stop what God said, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. He still brought the people of Israel into the promised land, but through their rebellion and their disobedience, doing what they wanted to do, following their own desires, they slowed down God's timing. He's still going to do what he's going to do, but we can affect the timing of what he's doing. We can slow him down. We can speed him up, right? Uh, uh, so he says, God is not slow. He's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That day that he's talking about is the capital D day, the second coming of Christ. Come on. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. This is what it'll be like. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements, the earth, will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now, don't be freaked out. Don't be afraid, right? Here's the key, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? So he's trying to help us shift the focus from earth, to eternity. This earth is going to pass away. He says, what kind of person ought you to be? What kind of life ought you to live? So many people are living for the new car that's going to be destroyed. People are living for the bigger house that's going to be destroyed. People are living for the accomplishments, for the thing, for the that, or whatever it is. And everything that humanity holds dear and values the most will be burnt up and destroyed. So instead of living for those things, living to do things here, we ought to live for eternity. He says, what kind of person ought you to be? You ought to live holy, which just means set apart. We're different than everything else. He says, you ought to live holy, set apart, and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed it's coming. There's the patience thing again. We have a role to play. We're not just kicked back and be like, God, you do your thing. No, we have a role to play, right? So let's rephrase that question. Instead of living for things that are going to pass away, instead we live for eternity. We live for what's going to take place there, not only what happens here. And yes, of course, we need, we need those things while we're here. We need a car to get to the job. Come on, somebody. We need a house to live in and food to eat. And God provides all of those things. He's not saying don't have anything. He's just saying that's not the focus of your life. That's not the driving force and what your life is all about. Your life is all about eternity and what will take place there. So how do we do this? Um, I'm a how-to guy. How do I do this? So um, I want to give us three keys today that I think are going to help us on the Mondays and the Tuesdays and all the other days, the ending days, um, to help us live in light of eternity. Uh, if you're taking notes, hopefully you write these down. Here's the first one. If we want to live in light of eternity, number one, realize everyone has a priority. Yeah. Everyone has a priority. So what about you? What's your priority? What's the thing in your life? You know, it's your thing. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody else is like, oh, pastor is singing, singing. I only listen to Z88.3. I, <laughs> I listen to Hot 95.9 in my car. Get some Andy Mineo, some Lecrae pumping in the back. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If 
funny story. Um, when, when we first moved here, my wife bought a minivan, and it had a 2,400-watt amp with a subwoofer in the back. <laughs> Driving down the road. Turn right! <laughs> what did you say? You know, like, couldn't hear anything. It didn't matter. It was awesome. It was amazing. Y'all think I like it loud. It's her. It's Heather. It was awesome. I loved that van. We cried the day we sold it. it was, everyone has a priority. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> so what is your thing? What is your priority? What is the thing that you're living for? Maybe, you know, many people live for, you know, uh, home improvements and home decor or whatever it is. And, you know, when you have a thing, you know, it's what you care about. And the things that is your thing that you care about, that's what you care about. And you don't care about the other things because you care about your thing. And other people, when they have a thing and it's not your thing, you don't care about their thing because it's not your thing. You know, and so when your thing is like home improvements, like you have no problem, like watching HGTV 24-7, going to Hobby Lobby, and then when you walk in, everyone knows your name. Hey, Chris, what's up? Hey, you know, you know all their shifts. You know who's going to be working that day. You go to Home Depot, and they got your own little cart right there for you when you pull in to your spot right there. You know, you have no problem dreaming about knocking out this wall and this wall, an open concept. Like, when that's your thing, that's your thing, you know. Maybe your thing is video games. You know, all the consoles. You know, everything that's coming out, every mobile platform and all the little, whatever. When that's your thing, maybe, you know, your thing is golf. I love to play golf. Don't get to play it very much anymore, but maybe that's your thing. And when golf is a person's thing, they have no problem spending hours playing golf, watching other people play golf, you know, buying the new thing, researching equipment and, and dressing nice and whatever else and, and the tacky pants and all that kind of stuff. When it's your thing, here's the funny thing. When your thing is your thing, you have no problem justifying the time, the money, and the energy to do your thing because it's your thing. But when somebody else, you have a problem when somebody else has a thing that's different than yours, all of a sudden we have a problem with the amount of time, money, and energy they spend on their thing. Have you ever noticed that? You know, like if you've ever met somebody who's really into coffee and they're like telling you about this brand new coffee maker that they bought and, and this amazing deal they got on this amazing coffee maker and it does the dishes and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, and it only cost me $350. And you're like, what? I get coffee at Wawa for a dollar. And you, you're just totally disturbed by their thing because it's not your thing. Or maybe, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're like, I just bought this brand new putter and I don't even have to do anything. It makes the putts for me every time. It only cost me $800 on sale. And your spouse is like, oh, my gosh, you know, like, because it's not their thing. When it's not our thing, we have a problem with how other people spend their time, their money, and their energy. But when it's our thing, it's totally justified. It's totally fine. Everybody's got a thing. You know, if you don't believe me, you know, watch people and their sports teams. When their sports team is the thing, they have no problem spending hundreds of dollars on parking and tickets and apparel and memorizing stats and all those things. But then you're like, hey, let's go to church on Sunday. And they're like, how dare you? We have a 1 o'clock game today. And I love, I love sports. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Enjoy this life. I love sports. I love golf. I love home improvement and Hobby Lobby and all those things. And I love coffee. But I just, you know, enjoy those things. But we don't live for those things. But everyone has a thing. What is your thing? Here's the second key to living in light of eternity is that God has priorities. Yeah. It's not that far of a stretch. If we have priorities, where do you think we get our characteristics from? Where do you think we get our nature from? Yeah. From our creator, yeah. from our heavenly father. He, if we have a thing from the endless supply of things to choose from, 
He has a thing too. He has a priority. Uh, let me show you from the Bible uh, one of the best scriptures I know that clearly defines God's priorities, right? John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved shopping. For God so loved golfing and the newest this. God so loved uh, your video games or whatever. No, God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son. God's priority was the world, was people. So he had no problem with the time, the resource of his son, and the energy that it would take to get his thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So again, don't tell me God sends people to hell. People go to hell because they want to pay for their own sins, but you don't have to. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So in case you're wondering, you and I are the world. We are the ones that God prioritizes. We are God's priority. Humanity is God's priority. People are God's priority. We are the thing that God loves and cares about deeply. Let me show you another place in Scripture. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sin. It is by grace you have been saved. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates, puts his love into action for us while we were sinners. Christ died for us. Come on. That's a good place to give God some praise. If anybody's been a sinner before, which is all of us, and then Jesus saved you, we can give God a shout. Come on, let's lift up a shout of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. God is good. He loves us. He is a good father to us. He is a loving God. Come on. God is not our problem. Sin is our problem. God made a way. And God made a way. There's... In humanity, I believe, as we see through Scripture, there's three groupings that all of us fit into one of these three groupings that God sees, that God is passionate about uh, of humanity. Specifically in humanity, there's three groups of people. Number one, the first one, a grouping of people, is lost people. Those are people who don't know Jesus. They're far from God. They're, they are those that Scripture says are dead in their sin. And the truth is God is super hyper-focused on people who are lost, people who are far from Him because God knows what happens when a person leaves this earth without knowing Jesus is they end up separated from Him in eternity in hell forever, right? And God doesn't want that to happen. We read it. Second Peter 3 says God's will is that none would perish but have everlasting life. God sent His Son to the world to save the world. That's God's will. He wants people to end up in heaven through Jesus, right? So God is super hyper-focused on people who are lost. So don't ever get near me and say this church is too big. Don't even ever get close to me and say, oh, this is too big and whatever. I had to park all the way in the back 40 today and there's just so many people. Why? Because my Bible says that people matter to God and as long as people matter to God, they matter to us. Don't ever get near me and say, Pastor, why do we do all this outreach? We could use this money better on something else. Why do we spend money on missions and all this stuff? Don't ever get near me and say that because you know the vision. This church exists to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and connect them to their purpose that's what this church is all about jesus said it this way luke chapter 19 verse 10 for the son of man jesus talking about himself he was the son of man he was jesus said jesus came to seek and to save the lost 
So Jesus is just letting us know what his agenda is. Crystal clear, no confusion. He came to find the lost, to seek them out and save them. So when somebody comes into church and they're sitting beside you and they don't look like you, they don't talk like you, maybe they smell a little funky or you think they've got a weird background or whatever, don't be giving them the evil eye. Don't be like, oh, we're going to move because no. Did you ever realize that God brought them to that place and sat them right next to you on purpose because he's filled you with his anointing? He's filled you with his spirit and his love so that when somebody comes around you that is far from him, it would fall out of you and come on to them? I came to preach today. Come on. So what is Christmas all about? Seek and save the lost. That's why he came. What is Easter and the cross and the resurrection all about? He he came to seek and to save the lost. God is super hyper focused on lost people. That's why for us as a church, not every church, like I have a say in this church. So for us as a church, everything that we do, every service that we do, adults and kids, every outreach that we do, every place that we go, we're going to create spaces from the parking lot to the host team, to the worship, to the kids' church, to the youth on Wednesday night. Every opportunity, every environment is going to be crafted in such a way to be able to introduce people to Jesus. That's what it's all about. The, the moment that you should raise your eyebrow and be like, what's going on is when we stop doing that, which as long as I have a say, we're not going to stop doing that. But it requires all of us. Come on. This is what we exist for. So as we head into Timber Creek High School, this is what we're about. Reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus, connecting them to their purpose. I would say it this way. People are making eternal decisions about God based on what they see, hear, and experience from us. Let me say it one more time. People are making eternal decisions about God based on what they see, feel, and experience from us. Second Corinthians tells us, he says, you are my ambassadors. You are the ones I'm sending to make the appeal. Be reconciled. Come home to God. We are the ones. So if people around us aren't being drawn to God, we better ask the Holy Spirit to evaluate what our life is like. What am I living for? Because if I'm living in light of eternity then my life is about helping people come to Jesus. Come on, somebody. God is super hyper-focused on lost people, and I love it that God actually entrusts us with the most important job in the world. That's what he thinks of you. He thinks you can do it. He thinks you can handle it. That's why he gives us the most important job in the world. You are well able to do it. Isn't that good to know? That just gives you confidence to know, like, wow, God gave me this job? He must trust you a whole lot. Come on, that's good to know. Here's the second group of people that God is super hyper-focused on. Number one, lost people. The second group is the poor and the needy and the hurting and the broken. God is super equally hyper-focused on the hurting and the broken, the poor and the needy. And if you find yourself in that category, you're in good company because we've all been there. (laughs) We've all been broken at some point. Uh, Psalms 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever shuts their ear to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. God is serious about what he's called us to do, to care about the poor and the needy, the broken. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is sitting around a table. There's a guy in a city that invites Jesus. Jesus, come to my house. I want to have a lunch for you. We'll do everything for you. They're sitting around this table having lunch, and Jesus says, hey, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends. Don't invite your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Now, 
<laughs> don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that you don't have to invite your family to Christmas dinner, okay? He's just trying to help us shift our focus to what really matters, to his priorities, right? Like, have dinner with your family, but we don't live for the, our family. He says, when you give a banquet, the way you live your life, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You will be repaid in eternity. Do you see the connection between how I live here and what happens there? If I live in such a way to live my life to help the broken and the poor and the hurting come into the house then there will be ramifications in eternity. There will be a blessing in eternity, but the opposite is true. If I live myself just for what I can get for little old me and my family, then I, I, I should not expect the blessing in eternity. Come on. That's why as a church we do everything we can do here in our community and around the world, right? It's part of why we're here. It's why we have a hope truck. It's why we go out on a Saturday and sometimes we sweat a little bit. We go into neighborhoods where people don't come to church and we give food away. We share the message of Jesus, play games with the kids. You know, it's why we do that. It's why during a global pandemic and a shutdown, we decided how can we help people because we recognize people in our community were hurting in ways they never had before. We're needing help in ways they hadn't. None of us had been through a pandemic before and now people are losing their jobs, don't have money don't have food we like we're gonna feed people we bought a refrigerator come on we figured out how to get boxes of food and actually through 2020 and 2021 we gave away 47,910 pounds of food to over 1,597 families come on that's why we do it because we want to reach people who are hurting who are broken right that's why as a church we give money uh, through our missions budget to help build rescue homes for boys uh, uh, to to, to build those homes in Southeast Asia for boys and girls who are being rescued out of trafficking. Every day there's boys and girls being rescued out of that lifestyle. And the homes that we're building are there so they can transition back to being a kid again. And then they get adopted into a family that raises them, loves them, teaches them the Bible, and teaches them the trade. When we give money to that because we understand how we live now affects eternity. It's a priority to God. It's a priority to us. It's why we give money to build water wells all across Southeast Asia. And even now down in Peru, we're building water wells there so that people can have life-giving water where there is no clean water. And at the same time, it's allowing pastors to, in those areas to love people and share Jesus with them, right? It's why we decided in 2021 to build a church in Africa. Come on, somebody. And to send money to train the pastor to lead that church well. It, this is why we do what we do because it's a priority to God. It matters to us. That's why we give Christmas away every year. Come on. Are you getting the vision today? So three groups of people got us hyper-focused on the lost, the hurting, and the broken. Here's the, here's the third one is the church. Come on, that's you and me. So you're not left out. I know sometimes people think, well, all they care about is people who don't know Jesus. Well, no, that's half. But the other half is those who are in the church, is discipleship, is growing up spiritually, helping people to grow, take another step in their faith. Think about our vision for just a minute. Reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus, those who are far from God. Help people find their purpose. Those of us, that's the discipleship part. That's the growing spiritually part that is here. How did Jesus say it? He said, go into all the world, preach the gospels, make disciples. Find the people who are lost. Then when people are found, raise them up. Train them. Help them to grow. Let me show you Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, so Christ himself, this is how much of a priority it is that Christ himself did this. He said, he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, 
Um, maybe you've heard the phrase the fivefold ministry or, or something like that before. That's what it is. It's prophets, evangelists, apostles, pastors, and teachers. It's this kind of churchy word that describes how God wants his church, his body to function, right? He gave us these things. Why? He says to equip his people for works of service, to equip his people to live in your God-given purpose so that the body of Christ would be built up, would be strengthened until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and what? Become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of God. So there's more that God has for you to experience than you've experienced to this point. I don't care if you've walked with God for 50 years or five seconds. There's more that God has. There's, he has fullness for you to experience. But it's going to take us becoming mature, growing up. In other words, you're not meant to stay a spiritual baby all the time. If you came in here, if I, if I came in here as a 44-year-old person still needing someone to change my diapers and make me a bottle, that would be a problem. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Come on. That would be weird. That would be strange. And, but yet the church is full of 44-year-old spiritual babies, people who have known the Lord a long time and are still spiritual Babies, it's time for us to mature, to grow up a little bit. And he says that's why pastors and teachers and evangelists and all those things are brought into our lives. God wants us to grow, to experience his goodness. God is passionate, super hyper focused on you, on helping you to grow so you can do more, so you can stand strong, right? So you can live in the divine purpose that he has in your life. That's why we spend so much effort in helping people discover your gifts. What has God put inside of you and then helping you to develop them? And if you don't know what they are, this is the perfect time to begin to discover what they are. If you're not using your gifts, this is the perfect time as we move to Timber Creek to allow God to use what's already inside of you to love people. There's no better environment. It's like fish jumping in the boat. I don't know if you've ever been fishing, but most of the time fish don't jump in the boat. But when you're using your gifts at church and a new person walks up, that's a fish jumping in the boat. You don't have to do anything, but you get the opportunity to use what God has done in your life and has equipped you with to love them, to serve them. Right. It's the best place you can do that, the safest place. So I just encourage you, find a place of service you can serve on the team to make a difference. So, and I'm just so grateful because I, that's why I love this church, to be surrounded by people like we live to make Jesus famous. We live to love and serve people. So when we're talking about the food giveaway and all that stuff, understand I'm not talking about me. I'm not saying, look what I've done or look what... No, no. When I say our church... I mean, us, your church, my church, it's our church. Come on, it's not about, about my name on anything. It's about what God has called us to do together, okay? Like, this is what God has called us to do. So here's, here's the third one today. If we're talking about how do we live in light of eternity, number one, every person has a priority for their life. Number two, God has a priority. Here's the third one. God wants his priorities to be our priorities. If we're going to live in light of eternity, God wants his priorities, which his priorities are lost people found, broken people healed, and his church built up. Those are his priorities. He wants his priorities to become our priorities, right? There's nothing wrong with golf or Hobby Lobby or gardening or video games, whatever. Like if that's your thing, great. But I've just found that most of the time when God gives you passion and you have a thing, you have a priority, he's given that to you because it's, he's wanting to help create an avenue for you to share Jesus with somebody through that thing. 
to share Jesus through that thing. And when you come into relationship with Jesus, the Bible makes it clear God wants us to kind of shift from our thing being the priority of our lives to His thing being the priority of our lives. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Dear friends, so he's talking to us, the church, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you see it? Since God's priority was to love us, when we are far from Him, our priority now is to love others the way God loved us. Our priority becomes His priorities, right? That's, that's the thing. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, But seek first a better golf game. But seek first, making sure you got all your binge watching in. But seek first, making sure your kids got to be in everything possible, even if they never got to be in church or serve in that place. Make sure, seek first more money or the better job. No, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The promise, all these things will be added to you. It's, it's a good promise, isn't it? Yeah. It's a good promise. Jesus is saying when we prioritize Living for Him, living for eternity, prioritize lost people found, hurting people broken, and building up His church. Everything else in our life is added to us in ways that we couldn't add to ourselves on our own, right? It's it's an amazing promise. And I, I don't know about I know everybody doesn't have kids. Who has kids in here? Anybody? Kids, come on! All those with kids. So, so all of us were kids. I know from being a dad, when my daughter Bella was into things that I was into. Man, that just made me so happy. You know what I mean? When your kids are into what you're into, it's just the best thing ever. I, when Bella was just a little two- and three-year-old, I played golf a lot. And she saw me playing golf, and she was like, Daddy, will you buy me my own pink set of golf clubs? <laughs> yes. So I want to go play golf with you. She just wanted to be, be around me, be with me. And I'm telling you what, there's something about that. Like, it's like, what do you want? You want a pony too? You want to go for ice cream tonight? You know what I'm saying? Like, when your kids are into what you're into, there's just something cool about it. You know, and even it could be something as simple as you're washing dishes, you know, and something nobody wants to do when your kids come up and they want to be with you. Can I help? Can I be part of that? I'm like, okay, yeah. There's just something, and our Heavenly Father is the same way. He loves it when we're into what He's into. When we get passionate about what he's passionate about, he loves and he's like, oh, look at my kids. They love what I love. Let's go. You know, like, and, and God loves it when we love what he loves. And here's the best part. When we make God's priorities our priorities, it has eternal ramifications. It has eternal results in the lives of people and for us. Come on, let's get to our feet today. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to pray here in just a minute. But I believe God wants to shift some things in us today. He wants to kind of just bring things back into focus in our lives. What are we living for in light of everything? Maybe today you find yourself in that place where you've been living for other things. You've been living for this or that. Maybe it's, you know, an accomplishment. Maybe it's the job or, or status or you want people to, whatever it is, maybe it's the approval of other people. You just... You finally just want to be accepted. You finally just, just enough already. I just want to fit in. And you've been, you've been doing everything you possibly could to try to earn that acceptance and that approval. And today, you, you've been living for it. And today, God is calling you and saying you're already accepted by Him. Thousands of years before you were ever even born, before you were ever a twinkle in your mom's eye, God loved you. And sent Jesus to make a way for you to know him, to be accepted and be valuable in his family. And here you are in 2021, thousands of years later, 
And God is still loving you. That's how purposeful your life is. You're not an accident. You're purposely handcrafted. Today, I believe God is wanting to bring us back to that place. Maybe you just find yourself where you've just been just trying to get through life and just living for eternity is something completely new for you. You've just been trying to make it, just trying to provide for the, your family. And today, God is calling you to, to more. There's more that he has for you. There's more fullness. And so today, maybe the response for you is, okay, I need to, I need to mature a little bit. See, that's one of the best things I think about church. People talk about coming to church and whatever. I think one of the best things about church is not the sermon or the worship, but the people. So you can, you can learn a few things at church, you know, take some notes or whatever. You can gain some knowledge, but application is found in relationship. That's, that's what's so valuable about being in a group or being on a team, being there when people from the house are gathered together is because it's in accountability and relationship with other people on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, at a restaurant, at a softball field or wherever that relationship are built and you can begin to actually walk out the things you're learning. That's why so many Christians only hear things and their lives don't look any different because they just come, they show up, and they leave. They had a moment with God and they thought that was enough. And really God wants to connect you deeply with other believers so that your life would look different than it did before. And maybe that's where you are. You've just been trying to do it on your own. And today God is saying, hey, I brought you into a family because I want to connect you so that your life would mature, so that there would be growth in your life because God wants you to walk into his fullness he wants to show you how good he is, how much he has for your life. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through his word.